0: everyone good evening Um, and uh, welcome I'm Nathaniel Peters the director of the Morningside Institute and I'm delighted to welcome you to our first event of this semester um, the myth of left and right with Verlin and Hiram Lewis um, an event that's co-sponsored by our friends at the Elm Institute so um, hello certainly to Peter hello to any of the rest of you who are joining um, from New Haven or with New Haven connections um, if those are what brought you here Um, Let me first offer a brief bit of introduction. I'm not going to say much about the talk itself in part because I'm really curious to hear the authors unfold their argument and because you all would have seen it um, you know when you were thinking of um, when you were thinking of signing up. Uh, so our speakers this evening are Verlin and Hiram Lewis, um, who I was suspected might be related, and, uh, and moments ago learned are in fact brothers. So this is possibly the first brothers talk that we've had, um, which is kind of nice. Um, Hiram is an associate professor of history at Brigham Young University, Idaho. Um, he received his PhD from the University of Southern California and was previously a visiting scholar at Stanford. Um, Verlin is a visiting scholar in the Center for American Political Studies at Harvard and is Sterling Professor of Constitutional Studies at Utah Valley University. Um, for those of you from New Haven, that's Sterling with an I, not with an E. Um, he received graduate degrees from Cambridge and UVA, where he studied under the great Jim Caesar. Um, and during his time at UVA, when we were both in graduate school, that was where we kind of first became acquainted. Um, And then did postdoctoral work at Stanford. Um, He's also the author of Ideas of Power, the Politics of American Party Ideology Development. Um, So the professors Lewis, a plural I was very pleased to be able to employ, um, will be speaking for about 40 minutes or so, um, maybe 30 to 40, depending on what they have prepared uh, before we open the floor for Q&A, um, and I will let them field their questions via either Zoom's hand raise function, which I trust we all know how to use, or by sort of waving furiously into the camera, um, whichever whichever you prefer. Um, at nine o'clock Eastern time, um, i.e. in an hour's time, uh, we'll pause to thank them very much. Um, And then we can continue the conversation a little more if people want to keep going, um, but not much more, um, at least for those of us uh, who are on Eastern time um, with with small children who may or may not have been up in the early hours of this morning. Um, So with that, uh, thank you all so much for coming. Thank you, Verlin and Hiram, for joining us. um, And the floor is yours.
1: Well, thank you, uh, Nathaniel, and thanks to the Morningside Institute and Elm Institutes for hosting us. Um, we're really happy to be here. Is it okay if I share my screen with the audience? Please do. Okay. Let so me just bring up my PowerPoint. Do I need to make you co-host? Okay. No work? Yep, we're good. Okay, great. All right. So um, I know that it's pretty uh, it's pretty um, standard for authors to believe that, that what they're presenting is of world importance. Uh, So maybe you can forgive us if we're a little bit delusional that what we are proposing can make a substantive uh, headway into helping our politics become more suitable and to help fix our problems. Um, Because currently we believe that politics is in an impasse because we're stuck in a mental prison. Um, Basically right now, there's only three solutions on the table. Uh, People say, if you wanna fix politics, you can move to the left, You can move to the right or you can move to the middle. But to us, that's equivalent to people in the 18th century who were practicing medicine saying you can either purge somebody of blood, phlegm, or bile. Uh, The problem wasn't the blood, phlegm, or bile. The problem was the model itself. And that's true of politics today. It's the political spectrum that is stopping thinking. It's the false model, and that false model is having serious negative consequences. So, our talk and our book is called "The Myth of Left and Right," and what we're going to do is break it down into three distinctive myths. So, sorry, have I been muted this whole time? Just a no, minute you... or so. Yeah, you said three oh, distinctive myths, so you're all set. Oh, there. thanks, thank you. Yeah. Uh, I hit the space for to advance the slide and I'm afraid it shut me up, which I should probably do anyway. All right, so the first myth is there's only one issue in politics. Um, Now, obviously the reality is that there's many issues in politics. Um, We have issues like um, taxes, abortion, crime, the war in Iraq, uh, support to Ukraine, diplomacy, uh, healthcare, drug policy, corporate regulation. There's all kinds of issues. Now, some people say, well, you're attacking a straw man. Everybody knows there's lots of issues in politics. Um, But as soon as they say that, they'll immediately start invoking a political spectrum. They'll say, oh, she is on the right, he is on the left, he's on the far left, she's on the center left, Uh, this institution is left-wing, that institution is right-wing. And what they don't acknowledge is that a political spectrum can, by definition, only model one issue. So if we're using a political spectrum to talk about politics, we are assuming that there's just one issue. So why do people then use a political spectrum if there's lots of different issues? Now, most people will say, well, that's because all the issues are connected. There's one essential issue that underlies them all. It's kind of like the ring of power in a Tolkien novel, one ring to bind them all. There's one issue underlying all others. And so all the positions considered left-wing are fundamentally connected by this one big underlying issue. Um, Now, most people think that that one underlying issue is change versus preservation. They say all left wing positions want to change things. All right wing positions are trying to stop or reverse change. So that's why we call people on the left progressive because they're trying to change and progress. And that's why we call people on the right conservative or reactionary because they're trying to stop progress. So that's, that's the standard view of the political spectrum. And that's why people say it's justified to use the political spectrum because all the issues out there all the dozens and dozens, hundreds and hundreds of issues are ultimately connected by whether or not you believe in change. The problem with this is there's simply no evidence that that's true. The idea that all, cons- all positions on the right promote change, uh, excuse me, stop change and all positions on the left promote change is just a fiction. Uh, we can falsify this very easily by looking at the policies that are considered right wing today. So, for instance, recently, who was it that wanted to change the Roe versus Wade decision? That was obviously people in the right wing. Who was it in 2003 who wanted to change the regime in Iraq? That obviously was people in the right wing tribe. Uh, Who was it that still wants to change tax rates to make them lower? That obviously is people in the right wing tribe. Uh, If you look at people in the left-wing tribe, they want to conserve the environment. They want to conserve government programs. They want to conserve Obamacare from, from those who might want to dismantle it. They want to conserve the tradition of welcoming immigrants to our country. They want to conserve the traditional value of giving aid to the poor. So this idea that one side believes in change and the other side wants to stop change simply isn't true. Study after study after study shows this. When you ask survey questions, we find that conservatives, liberals are about equal uh, in their preference for change. It depends entirely on the issue. If something is left-wing, conservatives want to change it. If something is right-wing, then those on the left want to change it. So this is true of all... essences. People would say, well, it's not about change versus preservation. It's about optimism versus pessimism, or it's about uh, realism versus idealism, or it's about a closed versus an open mind, or it's about fear versus courage. But we have gone through all of those, uh, and the psychologist has gone through all of those and found that it's simply not true. Nothing unites all the positions of left or right. So let's go to the second myth then. The second myth is that ideology comes first. The standard view of ideology, which we call the essentialist theory of ideology, says that people start with a particular philosophy. They have a philosophy of conservatism or they have a philosophy of liberalism or progressivism. Okay. Two philosophies. And once they have adopted a philosophy, they then use that philosophy to think themselves to a whole range of positions. And then, and only then, they join the tribe that happens to agree with them on all those different issues. The reality is that they have it backward. Ideology comes last. So the reality is that people start with the tribe. They anchor into a tribe, probably because of peers, because of co-workers, because of uh, their community, because of their family, because of one single issue they feel very strongly about. And once they've anchored into the tribe, then they adopt the rest of the positions of that tribe as a matter of socialization. And then and only then do they come up with a story to try to unite it. They say, OK, here's all the things that are considered conservative. Let me concoct a story to show how all of these positions conserve." So ideology comes after, not before. So what we find then is people think there's only one issue in politics because you find agreement. You find that people who are in favor of tax cuts are also against abortion. Those seem unrelated. So why is it that there's a correlation between those two things? Most people think, well, there must be some philosophy behind both tax cuts and abortion. If you're against change, you must be in favor of tax cuts against abortion. The reality is that they believe that because they have conformed to their tribe. Um, now, the evidence for this is really, really extensive. First of all, there's the historical evidence. If these, all these many positions that we consider right-wing were all connected, we would see them correlating across space and time. But in fact, we don't. We find that things that are considered right-wing one moment will become left-wing the next moment. So in the 1950s, for instance, it was seen as a very left-wing position to be in favor of free speech. Now, however, it's seen as a right-wing position to believe in free speech. And heroes that used to be left-wing heroes, like Noam Chomsky, who have continued to argue in favor of free speech are seen as traitors. They haven't betrayed anything. They are sticking to what they have always believed. Um, You can look at trade policy, uh, big government, the war in Iraq. It used to be that, that people on the right were very much in favor of military action in foreign countries. But now... It's people on the left who are more in favor of military intervention in foreign countries. So what is considered right and left is constantly flip-flopping, constantly switching. There's no position that is so essential to the left that it hasn't at some point been part of the right. Even big government, that used to be, well, it is, it is again, it's once again a right-wing position just like it was in the 19th century. So big versus small government doesn't do it either. So um, the laboratory evidence is also really interesting. What you can do is you can get people based on their tribal affiliations to change their positions based on priming. So for instance, you can bring a bunch of conservatives into a room, people who self-identify as conservative, and you could put at the top of the survey, Donald Trump supports the minimum wage. What do you think about the minimum wage? Oh,
0: yeah,
1: no, yeah that's, that's how they get you. And if you do that, once you prime people that way, you can get conservatives to be in favor of the minimum wage. You can get liberals to be against the minimum wage. They will agree with whatever their tribal instincts tell them to do. If indeed philosophy and a kind of, a temperament towards conserving or changing it was driving people, you would see them adopting positions based on that philosophy and not based upon the priming. Other experiments they've done have, have put people into rooms and they would uh, put a plant in the room, somebody who was chosen by the experimenters to be there. And the person would say, hey, I'm left wing. And so everybody would kind of see them as either an enemy or an ally. And then whatever that person did and whatever they said they supported, you would find the people who identified with their tribe supporting it or opposing it based on what they had declared. So, so what this all teaches us is that we think that ideology is about what? Our society is under the mass delusion that ideology is a philosophy or a temper. It's about a set of principles. It's about, it's about a what, a, a worldview. The reality is that ideology is about who and what connects all the different positions is not philosophy. It's simply the tribe uh, behind each. Okay, let's move on to the third myth now. The third myth, and this is where we're going with all of this, as the subtitle of our book indicates is, people say the political spectrum is useful. Um, The reality is it's incredibly damaging. Uh, We'll talk here about the cognitive, moral, and political damage that it does. But the constant refrains we get from people, when we talk about doing away with the political spectrum, they say, you can't do that. We need the political spectrum. It, It simplifies things. Um, there will be chaos if we don't have the political spectrum. We, we need the order that the political spectrum brings. Um, I think they believe that because they are mistaking ideology for party. Does America need political parties? Yes, it does. And a two-party system may very well be the best way to organize our democracy. It serves a branding function. It, um, it leads to majority vote winners most of the time. But you can have parties without the political spectrum. What the reality of parties is that they are grab bags of a whole bunch of unrelated positions. It's as if you went to the grocery store and there were two carts of groceries and you had to pick one. So you were stuck saying, well, gee, this, ba- this basket has a lot of things that I like and a lot of things that I don't like. And this basket has a lot of things I like and things that I don't like. But I'll pick this basket over here because it has a few more of the things I like, like and a few less of the things I don't like. That's what parties really are. But what ideology does is it serves as a self-delusional tool to tell us, no, 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 everything your party believes is good. Everything. Every last thing, because every last thing the Republican Party believes is conservative. And if you are a philosophical conservative, you must support everything the Republican Party stands for, because otherwise you're a traitor to the conservative philosophy and the conservative worldview and the conservative cause. Likewise, the Democratic Party isn't just a random grab bag of of policies, this is what they say. No, 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 it's a philosophically coherent party that advances the cause of progress and social justice. Therefore you have to agree with every last policy of the Democrats. You can't defect on a single one because they're all philosophically connected. So you see why this is gonna be so damaging. And that's why we have to say parties yes, spectrum no. We can have political parties but we must recognize them for what they are which is random grab bags of policies platforms that are there that aren't connected. The policies within the platform are not connected. They are just there by the accident of history. Once we do that, we have opened our minds. Okay, so why is the spectrum so damaging? Well, because delusions are inherently harmful. Uh, The four humors theory of disease, we talked about that earlier. How much damage did that do? In the name of simplicity and order, virtually every doctor in the Western world adopted this view of health that, that making a patient healthy was all about bringing their humors into balance. And so they would give people purgatives to make them vomit in order to balance the bile, or they would slice them open and bleed them in order to balance the amount of blood in their system. This was a terrible, terrible model because it was false. And so people say, well, it's a simplification. Yes, all models are simplifications, but they have to be accurate as well as simple to be useful. The political spectrum is not accurate. It is simple. I'll give it that. But simple and inaccurate is worse than nothing. And therefore, we should do away with the political spectrum. All right. So in what ways is it damaging? First of all, study upon study upon study, we're talking hundreds of them, show that thinking in terms of ideology does a great deal of cognitive, cognitive damage. And we are not aware of a single study that shows that the political spectrum helps cognitively in any way. So these people who say, well, it's a useful tool, they have no evidence to back that up. There's no evidence whatsoever that we are aware of that it is all useful. All of the evidence says otherwise. For instance, it turns it creates a mental prison. The political spectrum tells us there's only two ways to approach political issues. That obviously is not true. Our society needs third-way thinking, fourth-way thinking, fifth-way thinking, outside-the-box thinking more than ever before, and yet we're stuck in this ridiculous view that no, 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 there's only two ways to approach things, either left or right, and I suppose something in between. Um, The second thing is it creates a great deal of confusion. People don't know what they are talking about once they begin talking about the political spectrum. Notice that pretty much every policy can be considered right wing and every policy can be considered left wing. When the Republican Party, under the leadership of George W. Bush, invaded Iraq, people said, well, obviously, George W. Bush is an extreme right winger because invading Iraq is extreme right wing. Well, then Donald Trump came along and said, you know what? The Iraq war was a mistake. Did anybody say Donald Trump pulled the Republican Party to the extreme left? No, they continue to say that this was also extreme right wing. So is it extreme right wing to invade Iraq or to stay out of the war in Iraq? It's both. It's nothing. It's a meaningless term. Likewise, when Barry Goldwater was running for president, he was against tax cuts. He was in favor of cutting government spending, and he was against, uh, he was against civil rights. George W. Bush took the opposite approach to, to all of those issues. And yet, they are both considered extreme right wing. What does right-wing mean? Does it mean Goldwater small government or Bush big government? Neither and both. It's incredibly confusing. It, It means we call opposite things the same and same things the opposite. And of course, ideologues can exploit this to terrible effect. You'll remember how in the 1950s, Senator McCarthy said, liberal is on the left. Liberals, so people who believe in free speech are liberal and therefore they are like communists for believing in free speech. Now, this is patently absurd, but people believed it because the political spectrum confused them into believing it. So it confuses us a great deal. It also makes us dogmatic. Uh, There are so many studies of this. They can even do brain studies uh, showing that your brain on ideology is like a brain on drugs. It's not functioning as well as it would. The primitive parts of the brain light up as soon as people start talking about left wing and right wing. Now, when we're talking about policies, when we're talking about the pros and cons of say increasing income taxes, you see the rational prefrontal cortex part of the brain working. But as soon as we start saying right wing, left wing, we go to the primitive parts of the brain, the emotional parts of the brain that are less likely to come up with appropriate solutions. Um, So, um, you you know, there was a long time there was this view that conservatives were closed minded. Um, the authoritarian personality studies done by Adorno and Marcusa and all those. Well, it turns out those studies didn't replicate because they had picked a biased set of answers. And so what we find now is it's not that right wing is closed minded and left wing is open minded. It turns out that any wing is closed minded. Left wing is closed minded, right wing is closed minded. It's thinking in terms of wings that closes your mind. So if you're thinking in terms of a political spectrum and where people fit on it, then you have closed your mind. You've put yourself in a mental prison. You have become dogmatic. It also leads people to circular reasoning. Just the other day, I saw a very gifted writer in the Washington Post saying that Hitler wasn't a socialist, even though his party was called the National Socialist Party. And we thought, well, that's strange. Um, and said, so, what, what's your evidence? He says, well, Hitler wasn't a socialist because he was right wing. And you say, well, what made him right wing? Well, the fact that he was against socialism. Well, how do you know he's against socialism? Because he was right wing. This author was making circular arguments. Likewise, there's a famous historian in the American South, who's recently written a book saying that free marketers are like Hitler. What's her evidence? That both they and Hitler are right-wing. Okay, well, what is it that they have in common with Hitler that makes them right-wing? Well, the fact that they're right-wing makes them like Hitler. And why are they like Hitler? Because they're right-wing. Her entire book is based on circular reasoning. This is a very gifted journalist and a very gifted historian wasting their lives and wasting their brain power in circular reasoning because they are stuck in the myth of left and right. It is very damaging. It's very hurtful. It hurts history. It hurts journalism. We also find that people who think in terms of left and right are less accurate in their thinking than people who do not. Philip Tetlock has done an extensive study of super forecasting. And one of the characteristics he found about people who forecast well is that they don't use the left-right framework. That's an even better uh, correlate of successful forecasting than intelligence. So you can make yourself many IQ points smarter by today stopping Thinking in terms of a spectrum and starting thinking in terms of policy. Don't say right wing. Just say opposed to the war in Iraq. Was the Iraq war good or bad? Talk about it. Don't call it right wing. Stay out of the whole wing thinking uh, because it's so corrupting. So it's it makes us less accurate in our thinking and all the rest. Now the last thing I want to say, and then I'll turn the time over to Verlin, is. Um, the last two things I want to say is there's also remarkable moral and political damage as well. We find that people who think in terms of a political spectrum are more hostile, more angry, more willing to discard friends. They're more bigoted. We can find that racial bigotry has decreased. People are less likely to discriminate some against somebody in a job hiring for instance, based on the race than they used to be, but they are more likely to discriminate against somebody based on an ideological label. So it introduces new kinds of bigotry. It's uh, quite sad to see. We see that ideologues are more dishonest, they're more willing to lie, they're more willing to invent non existent. Uh, memories to try to um, impose uh, bad things on people as who they see as on the other side. Uh, it makes us self-righteous it, it blinds us to our own evils tells us that we're right about everything it makes us feel like we're omniscient and don't have to do any thinking. so it's it's a remarkable tool for making us cognitively and morally defective. that's just a fancy way of saying it makes us stupid and evil. And if you don't want to be stupid and evil, stop using the political spectrum because it does exactly that. Uh, finally it it has remarkable, amounts of political damage. Um, if you think about democracy and what makes democracy work, it's basically three things. First of all, democracy is based upon dialogue. It's based upon open speech and communication between different peoples to try to get at correct answers. And then when it comes to le- crafting legislation, it, it, it's all about compromise, about working with other people. And then finally, it depends upon the peaceful... Tra- transfer of power, that after you've made your case to the electorate, you accept the results of the election. What we have found is that the political spectrum weakens all three of those pillars of our democracy. First of all, you can't engage in dialogue if you believe in a political spectrum. If you believe that one side of the spectrum is right about everything, that every position considered progressive is correct by virtue of the fact that it is left-wing, you have no need to listen to anybody else. You already know all the answers. Why would you dialogue? If if everything left-wing is progressive and in favor of progress and in favor of social justice, then anybody who doesn't agree with you is obviously against social justice. So why would you listen to them? Your goal isn't to listen to them. Your goal is obviously to destroy them. Furthermore, compromise. Why would you compromise with other people when you know a priori that they're wrong about everything? So some people say the Republican Party has moved to the extreme right and the Democratic Party has moved to the left. That is simply not true because it's a meaningless statement what does the extreme right mean? Does it mean big government or small government? Does it mean uh, more in favor of international intervention or less? Does it mean more in favor of free speech or less? Does it mean more in favor of free trade or less? Since all of those things are considered right-wing and left-wing simultaneously, it's a completely meaningless thing to say that either party has moved to the right or to the left. But what, what the reality is, is that both parties have become more lockstep. And that, when you hear the political scientists saying there has been polarization and that the two parties have moved to their extremes, they don't mean policy-wise. They don't mean in terms of philosophy. They mean in terms of coherent voting, that the the parties are voting together more than they ever had. So they are more lockstep. Well, of course they are, because they're under the delusion that their parties stand for a philosophy, and they don't want to be traitors to that philosophy. In previous eras, when people didn't think ideologically about politics, compromise was much, much, much more common. Okay. And then, of course, the peaceful transfer of power. We saw the terrible consequences of ideological thinking. If one side is right about everything and another side is wrong about everything, rather than just being two grab bags, which is what they really are. No, but no, if they're philosophically united and everything one party believes is incorrect, then every election is existential. It's all about the fate of the country. It's about people who are irredeemably evil taking power. So if you really believe that, if you believe that Hitler is taking over the government with this election, then of course you're going to try to use violent means to stop it the same way that we used violent means to stop the actual Hitler. So political violence and not accepting the peaceful transfer of power is an inevitable outcome of this view that there is a left and right in politics, that there's only one issue in politics, that our ideologies come first and our policies and our tribes come after. These myths are incredibly damaging and um, I'll turn it over to Verlin now to flesh things out and give us a little more uh, empirical heft to some of our points.
2: Great, thanks, Hiram. Um, I'm gonna try to do the same thing you did in terms of screen sharing. Let me see um, if that will work as well. Can you see my screen okay? Okay. Uh, so some of the feedback we've gotten um, as we've presented um, the ideas in our book about the myth of left and right is, you know, wow, this is a really bold claim that you're making. Um, and on one level, it is because if you step back and think about all the conversations you have with people on a daily basis, coworkers, friends, family members, just watch how quickly the terms left and right will emerge in the conversation. And That happens because almost everyone, uh, or at least people who have been um, socialized into political discourse, thinks about politics in this way. So on the one hand, it is a bold claim that we're making that everyone who's talking about politics is talking about it in the wrong way. Um, But we're taking some solace in the fact that we're not the very first people to point out the myth of left and right. And it also gives us some comfort that when, people ignore us and continue to use terms like left and right, um, that others have been ignored in the past as well. So um, Michael Oakeshott was one of the great uh, political thinkers of the 20th century. And he also made the same argument that Hiram was just making about ideology, uh, socialization coming first and ideology coming second. Uh, he said uh, in 1951, far from a political ideology being the quasi-divine parent of political activity, it turns out to be its earthly stepchild. Political activity comes first and a political ideology follows after. So this reality that people get socialized into political groups and then come up with stories that justify the particular bundle of issue positions that they take in the group was something recognized uh, by okashot uh, over 70 years ago. Another uh, great thinker from the 20th century Um, who has also lived through kind of the emergence of left-right thinking. You know, here we are a century later after it's become, um, it became imported into America. But uh, someone who lived through its first importation was uh, Raymond Aron. And he also uh, recognized the evolutionary character of terms like left and right, because they are social constructs rather than natural essences. And so he wrote in his memoirs, I did not deny the fact that there was a distinction between the right and the left in the National Assembly. What I denied was that there was an eternal left, the same in various historical circumstances, inspired by the same values, united in the same aspirations. So that's the myth that he was rejecting, that there is some eternal left or some eternal right. The reality, of course, is that these terms were invented during the French Revolution, and eventually imported into America during the Bolshevik Revolution in the 1920s and have been with us uh, ever since, unfortunately. Uh, Another great uh, thinker from the 20th century uh, was Ronald Reagan, who said this in 1964. He said in his speech in favor of uh, the Goldwater candidacy, you and I are told increasingly we have to choose between a left or right. Well, I'd like to suggest there's no such thing as a left or right. There's only an up or down, up to man's old age dream, the ultimate and in individual freedom consistent with law and order, or down to the heap of totalitarianism. So he recognized that left and right are social groups that can, either one or both, promote freedom, or they can promote totalitarianism. There's no essence that makes them the same in all times and all places. They're evolutionary constructs. Okay, so... Um, we're, we're we're happy to see that we're standing in some ways on the on the shoulders of giants but unfortunately those figures from the past have been ignored time and time again and the usage of left and right has only increased since the mid20th century. It's only become more and more prevalent. And today if you turn on uh, television news or open a newspaper or have a conversation around the dinner table, inevitably people will use these terms left and right, which rely on this myth of a left-right political spectrum. So what are we asking people to do? Well, really, there's, there's three things that we're asking people to do um, when we're saying to stop using this myth to analyze politics. The first thing that we're asking people to do is to use better labels. Um, what happens when people use terms like liberal or conservative or left or right, really the only thing that's communicating, as Hiram pointed out, is a social group. It's identifying who you agree with or who you disagree with. So it tells us social information, but it doesn't tell us substantive information in terms of issue position content. And so we're asking people to stop using those labels because they imply something false. When you say someone is left or right or liberal or conservative, you're implying something that's untrue. You're implying that there's a left-right spectrum and that there are only two worldviews that exist and that the issue positions of those two groups are bound together by coherent philosophies that endure across time and space. Now, we don't think all of that when we say the words left and right, but if you unpack it, that's really what you're implying. And it's, it's a false thing to imply. We can use different labels that imply true truth about left and right. And so we should instead use labels like Republican or Democrat. Those are partisan labels and they imply the truth of the matter, which is that these are social groups. Political parties are groups of people. And that that implies something. Or we can um, talk about team blue or team red, right? That implies the truth that we're talking about social groups or tribe left or tribe right. um, That implies and communicates the truth about um, that these are social groups rather than coherent philosophies that endure across time and and place. Okay, the second thing we're asking people to do is to go granular. So use partisan labels like Republican and Democrat rather than liberal or conservative. And if you actually want to talk about issues, don't just say, oh, they have the left wing position on international trade. Well, I don't know what that means, because the left wing position is always changing because it's a social group. Sometimes the liberal tribe or the Democratic Party is in favor of free trade and sometimes they're against it and vice versa. So go granular. Just talk about the issue. Free trade versus protectionism or interventionist foreign policy versus non-interventionist foreign policy, or raising taxes, or lowering taxes. We can just talk about issues uh, without using these labels left and right. Uh, So we think that would be an improvement in our political discourse. And then the third term, and Hiram um, mentioned this in his presentation, we're asking people to stop using the term polarization. It is true that in our politics today, we do have increasing anger and hostility and willingness to engage in violence, by political partisans and political ideologues, that is all true. But polarization is not the right word to use for that. We can just simply say increased hostility, increased anger, increased incivility, because polarization implies something false. It implies that there are polls on a left-right spectrum, which does not exist. And so rather than saying that America has become polarized or that the parties have become polarized, we can just simply say that the parties have become more angry, um, less rational, more willing to engage in violence, but don't talk about polls because that, that implies something false. It, well, does that mean that Republicans are super against government spending now because they're polarized to the right wing? Well, no, that's not the case at all. Um, does that mean that Democrats are super in favor of free speech now because they've polarized to the left wing? No, that's not the case at all. It implies something false when we, when we use those terms polarization. There are no polls. The meanings of left and right are constantly changing to justify what the tribes associated with them are doing at any given time. Okay, so one obvious point, just to back up something Hiram said earlier, is politics is not about one thing. It's about many different issues. So this is from the Pew Research Center about a year ago. They asked Americans in a survey, you know, what do you think should be a top priority for the national government this year? And unsurprisingly, right there was dozens of issues that respondents came up with uh, you can see a list here right the economy healthcare coronavirus pandemic education policy social security terrorism crime immigration deficits i mean there's so many different issues so to talk about politics in terms of a unidimensional spectrum is um, simply misleading and and not an accurate model of of what's going on in our politics now, of course, people say, as Hiram mentioned, the, come, the response is, well, all of the issue positions of each group are bound together by these coherent philosophies. The left means the same thing in all times and places, and the right means the same thing. Um, but the, that's because of social conditioning that that these issue positions are bundled together. There's nothing in nature that says that someone's position on abortion has to go together with another particular position on immigration or on vaccines or on foreign policy, There's nothing in nature that binds together all the issue positions that Democrats currently take and that Republicans currently take. Uh, And we know this for the simple reason that their positions are always changing. (laughs) So there's nothing essential about the positions that they're taking. Now, people will come up with... um, Philosophies or theories about what it is the essence that binds together these issue positions. as Hiram mentioned, the most common one is progress versus conservation. He pointed out why that's not true. there's others that we've heard there's a long list. we're happy to hear others if people want to this often comes up in Q and a well, you miss the real essences, x, y, or z so we're happy to talk about those but here's a here's a long list um, that we've heard and um what we find is that the very fact of the huge variety of essences that people have offered indicate that it's not just one thing that divides uh, Democrats from Republicans or Team Blue from Team Red. And often these um, distinctions that people make or the essences that they propose are often self-serving, right? So sometimes we'll hear people in Team Blue say, well, the real difference between left and right is people on the left are compassionate and people on the right are greedy, Right. Well, that's a self-serving uh, definition of the difference between left and right. You know, I live in a very red county in a very red state. And if I talk to people here, they don't tell me that the difference between left and right is, well, I'm on the right because I'm super greedy. That's, no one will say that. That's not um, the way they think of themselves. Or um, similarly, people will say, oh yeah, well, you know, if someone's on, you know, team, team red, maybe they'll say, well, the real difference between left and right is intelligence versus ignorance. People on the right are intelligent, people on the left are ignorant. But if you go talk to people they're in New York City or in New Haven uh, who are on Team Blue, they won't say the reason I'm on the left is because I'm ignorant, right? This isn't the way they talk about themselves. So these are self-serving definitions. Uh, so as Hiram said, if we think that the essence, uh, the essential difference is progress versus conservation, the truth is it depends on the issue and which issue each team is in favor of changing or preserving uh, also changes over time. Uh, if we think, well, you know, one group is in favor of more intervention and one group is in favor of less intervention, again, it depends on the issue. And there's a, a host of studies we can talk about in Q&A if you want about um, how ideological consistency is really a product of socialization. It's not something that exists in nature. So to reiterate what Hiram said, left and right are really predictive of who we support, uh, but not what we support. It contains information about political tribes, but not about political principles. And so we would encourage uh, all of us to stop using those terms left and right, because it implies that it's about principles, which it really is not. Um, Another reason we shouldn't use left-right spectrum is it is anachronistic, right? Uh, It was created in the 1780s by partisans to the French Revolution. It was revived in the 1910s by Bolshevik revolutionaries um, who thought of themselves as having something in common with the French revolutionaries. It was a self serving adoption of the spectrum for themselves. It was imported into America by journalists and historians who were sympathetic to that revolution. And unfortunately, Americans have exported this way of thinking around the globe over the past century. So some people say, well, can you really think of a world that? doesn't talk about politics in terms of left and right? Well, yeah, almost all of human history. We've had a political discourse that never referred to left and right. It's really just a new phenomenon and, um, and one that is, is harmful. This is just uh, evidence of that. This is from the Ingram viewer. This is something uh, Google can produce for you. Uh, relying on English language texts, it shows the frequency of the uses of the word, right, left wing and right wing in English language texts. And it really takes off in America uh, in 1920. And then just in the past 20 years is exponentially increased, unfortunately. Okay, um, so again, one of the reasons that we think um, we shouldn't use these terms left and right and there is no um, essential difference is because the meanings of left and right change. So this is uh, something that unfortunately, my discipline, political scientists overwhelmingly Rely on the left right spectrum. If you pick up a political science journal, you won't have to read far until you see those words. I mean, any every issue has some article, usually multiple, that rely on the left right spectrum. Um, but it's just really um, not true. But what they often point to, and probably the most cited source of left right um, measures, is Pool and Rosenthal's DW nominate uh, index of congressional roll call votes. And you can see here, they map uh, party ideology, Democrats in blue, Republicans in red. And you can see, you know, historically, the most extreme left period for the Democratic Party was the postbellum reconstruction era of the 1880s and 1890s. Um, Well, that's really strange to think about when, you know, the Democratic president at the time was Grover Cleveland, who was famously in favor of free markets and limited government intervention in the economy. Um, so what that shows is that these measures like DW nominate simply show how often partisans vote together. It doesn't tell us what they're voting for. Back in the 19th century, it was Republicans who were in favor of big government, nationalism, government intervention in the economy. It was Democrats who were opposed to it, so they, if they switched in the 1930s like they did on this issue, you don't see that switch in the data. It's just They continue to vote together, but now they're voting in different ways. So the meaning of liberal has changed drastically over the last um, 150 years when it's been used in American political discourse. And the term conservative has only been around for about 100 years in American political discourse. And it has also transformed dramatically over that time. Okay, so um, is this really just a political science point that this model is not reflective of reality? Is it simply a scientific point? No, as Hiram said, we think it's actually a normative argument that we're making, that the myth of left and right not only misleads, it's not only intellectually confusing, but it's also harmful uh, to our political discourse. And you can see here a couple charts showing partisan attitudes toward the other party in America over the last 25 years, and the unfavorable views of each party towards their opponents has increased at the same time that left-right thinking has increased in American politics. Okay, so just to conclude, I think we're getting up about the 40-minute line that Nathaniel wanted us to hit, but the left-right spectrum is misleading, uh, right? It tells us uh, confusing and misleading things like people who are pro-life on abortion policy somehow share a right-wing essence with Adolf Hitler, who was clearly not uh, someone who valued the sanctity of life, right? Uh, it somehow tells us that people who want more conservationist and environmental policy somehow share a left-wing essence with Joseph Stalin, who clearly uh, didn't care much for conserving uh, the environment. So it tells us a lot of false things, and it's it's usually used. Most people use the terms left-wing and right-wing when they want to insult someone. They don't usually use that to refer to them themselves. It's typically a, a pejorative term. Um, so it's misleading, and it's harmful. Uh, as Hiram said, the studies show overwhelmingly that it makes people who think this way less thoughtful less open to civil discourse and less kind to others and then finally i just want to say that we're concerned that the left-right spectrum is undermining constitutional government in america because it creates a monochian worldview where if you are right about everything and you know you're right about everything because you are on the correct side of a unidimensional spectrum and your opponents are wrong about every single issue and you know they're wrong because all their issue positions flow out of this coherent evil or misguided philosophy, then who cares about the rule of law and popular sovereignty and individual rights and constitutional government? It's just, we need to win and push our correct philosophy down the throats of our political opponents. And we see that more and more in our politics, unfortunately. Okay, so just to summarize, again, we're, we're out of time here. Um... We should stop using the left-right myth to analyze politics. We need to use better labels. We need to go granular, and we need to stop talking about polarization. So thanks
1: for your time, and happy to take questions. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Merlin and Hiram.